Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com What's up, everyone? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're going to be speaking with Danielle Schumacher and Akili Parnell of THC Staffing. They're helping a lot of people find their footing in the cannabis industry. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. So what's going on, Tom and Miggy? Hey. 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 Just uh, hanging out in Chicago. Hey, Miggy, what type of hemp news did you see this week? So I saw that one with the uh, USDA giving out the uh, outlines for importing hemp plants and seeds to other countries. Yeah, and I also saw one on the USDA saying that the regulations will be issued within weeks. Of course, the regulations that we're talking about here in Croptober are for next year because a lot of the states aren't like Illinois in that it was commercially legal entirely. A lot of the states are waiting to see what the USDA does and then their state laws kind of incorporate them. So hopefully next crop year, you're going to see a lot more crop insurance for your hemp, which would be pretty well, they're actually going to be putting out as the actual guidelines then? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, right now, yeah. everybody else is rogue right now? Yeah, you know, I mean, like, Illinois just kind of said we're going to do it. And then, like, the other people are kind of waiting for these USDA guidelines. And those USDA guidelines will be the regulations for how the law is supposed to be carried into effect. You see, this, this again, it's cannabis legalization, so it's a civics class in, happening in real time. And so Trump signed the Farm Bill in 2018. Uh, you know, December 20th. And so then that moves it to the rulemaking body. And then that those rulemakings, it's, they didn't say boo about the FDA regulations because gosh knows how much longer those will take. But the USDA ones, those are more along the lines of it as an agricultural good, you know, that type of product, how the uh, hemp insurance will be there. I don't know if there's going to be any types of regulations regarding the oh, any futures contracts or other stuff that is going on in the industry that kind of would be helped. But the... Uh, the crop insurance is big this year they didn't have it so that's gonna be a big like uh finalized for like the legality of shit then as far right as- well those will be the rules i mean like they had public comments and then so those rules will come out they may have public comments and then they'll have final rules i'm not sure if that's how the feds do it it's how we do it in illinois but how do you explain so what's the deal with all the because i thought once the it was the, the hemp bill was legalized i mean you have states that are already involved in hemp but of course now you have the intercommerce that happened like right away, you know, people getting pulled over in Ohio, whatnot. Well, yes, 
I mean, the, 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 it was it was a huge it was happening last year, but like, you know, a quarter of it, because now this year there's been quintupling or a quadrupling, at least of the volume of hemp that's been grown. So these these cops all over are very confused because it just looks like there's a lot of marijuana being grown. And then the crime lab, at least in Illinois, can't test for the presence of anything besides THC. So they can't test levels. They don't know if what it is is hemp or not, or if it's lawful or not. And it's kind of terrible, but you know, it's great in the sense that uh, the, the law is changing. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, we'll have rules now. And then those rules will explain to the people how those programs will go into effect. But uh, uh, we still don't have them for like Illinois stuff. I mean, Illinois, that's the news that'll be coming on Friday. They're going to answer some questions about the application for the dispensaries. Do you, uh, do you follow Google trends at all? I get a Google alert about Illinois cannabis legalization and also Florida cannabis legalization. Why Florida? Because Florida. <laughs> you want to be a Florida man? Have, have you ever? Uh, yeah, that's that's right. Those are my hopes and dreams in life. To one day have the headline "Florida man" before whatever stupid crap I've done. Right? No, um, but. Uh, Florida is nice in the sense that it does not have the winter that Chicago does. And also Florida is probably an emerging market for cannabis. Uh, my sister practices law down there already, and I have family that lives there. Right. And they're saying that uh, recreational mar marijuana could create 128,000 jobs in Florida by 2025 if marijuana is legalized and they're going to put it on their ballot. So like next year, Florida gets to vote on medical or I'm sorry, recreational cannabis. And I, they're a ballot initiative state. So I'm kind of waiting. Well, like, all right, man, let's see what these, let's see what that ballot initiative says. And then we could start making content about it and I could start ranking in Florida and drop a pin there. And then, you know, start getting the phone calls. Same with Pennsylvania, man. I might start getting a Pennsylvania. Well, that's the weird thing. I get a cannabis Google alert. And they, they equate cannabis with marijuana. So it says recreational marijuana under my Florida cannabis Google alert. But what, what's what's Google Trends got to do with this, dude? Well, the reason why I brought that up is because uh, right before you know we, we, we get together, I try and get as much information that I can on just various shits to talk about. And right. uh, hemp, I looked at the, the hemp one. And the top five states for hemp are Vermont, Tennessee, Oregon, Kentucky, and North Carolina. Uh, you know, four of those states are, are pending to happen they're, they're they're trying to be and, and of course oregon they just have us to harvest uh so i just think it's funny because you know you got wyoming who's also has hemp production and uh um wisconsin so wisconsin does wisconsin still has it kind of like the old farm bill so back in the old farm bill you actually had to have like this research pilot program thing going on and you'd have to be studying something so like illinois it's like no i mean like illinois it, you go to their website and you have all the information that you need in front of you. You can apply for your hemp license in Illinois in 15 minutes, maybe a half hour tops. Uh, it's really user friendly. So this state has kind of taken the lead on it, which probably explains why they, I think there's like 18,000 acres uh, in the state. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. When uh, you apply for hemp, what's the, um, uh, is there a fee? Or how's that work? Of course, there's fees. So, like in Illinois, they have it more like they've regulated it as if it is cannabis. I mean, as opposed to like more being an agricultural good, uh, simply because of the way that the processors' licenses work, and that you know when you are getting your license, they ask you what type of strains that you're going to grow. You know, they aren't saying like, are you growing? Uh, 
grain hemp or stock hemp and there's really nowhere to sell that that's the thing everybody is just growing it for cbd they aren't growing it to you know make well maybe there's some place down in in kentucky that might be growing it for like literal industrial purposes but there's just no processing facilities out there for industrial purposes in 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 illinois yeah well like we you know I, i'm always amazed that we, the fact that you have to have two separate grows i always thought one plant one everything you know but uh nope it's it's completely different i mean imagine you're you're growing the hemp for something else you're not growing it for its flower i mean when you're growing it for its flower like that that's more of that horticultural crop that is usually uh, thc cannabis as opposed to cbd cannabis or cbg cannabis or whatever particular cannabinoid they're trying to isolate um and it's grown just differently than if you are because like the seed they were talking about i was at i spoke at a uh, hemp seminar last friday in lombard it was long i i spoke for about three hours and i my voice oh my is God. still kind of here uh yeah and it's it's all right i got a whole bunch of what they call cle's continuing legal education credits so i'm good on that but um Anyway, the difference in volume of like seed between the pounds of seed that you would do per foot as opposed to like, or like per acre, as opposed to like, you know, planting one seed and then how, what's, what's your radius? Like, do you want it to be four feet? Cause like how many pounds are you trying to grow from this plant as opposed to like, you're growing it as a row crop. So like, you're just putting that seed in the amount of seed that you would get for an industrial grow, like, you know, for, for the, the cordage or for the herds or whatever, that stuff, you just plant, uh, the, the THC, the CBD, the flower cannabis, that stuff's a horticulture. I mean, you, you're trying to get those, those monster pounds out of it. Yeah, no, in Oregon here, uh, uh, one of the, our local, uh, fixtures, uh, farmer, Tom, uh, posted a video of their uh, they just harvested the crop in Oregon uh, and they talked about like the process and how they got there man they I couldn't imagine weeding like 90 acres like like that oh, was part of the yeah. <laughs> yeah that's where they say that there's problems with scaling in the industrial hemp market well I mean should we call it industrial hemp market maybe like the CBD hemp market or the flower the flower oh, hemp market green uh, rush 2.0 yeah, I mean, like, because you have to take care of those plants. I mean, you have to weed them. You have to make sure that nothing's going wrong with them and pests and all that type of stuff. So uh, it, it can be more difficult for you to find the team and then hire those those employees that you need to uh, tend to your fields. Yeah, no, man hour is definitely a, a, an active thing when it comes to growing. And that's why, again, with home grow uh, and why it should be a thing, uh, growing's fucking hard, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, apparently, uh, in Washington, we're still waiting for, uh, 2020, I guess we're in a recession or recess, uh, recess. Well, I mean, right now it says that there's a hearing entitled marijuana and America's health questions and issues for policy, uh, policymakers coverage will begin momentarily. So that's going on right now in the, um, in the Senate caucus on the international narcotics controlled are going to be discussing marijuana and health this Wednesday afternoons. So this is brand new. Um, wow. yeah, you know, breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. More doctors smoke camels. Oh, wait, that's a, that's a, a pun against from Senator John Cornyn. Uh, that's interesting, though. That's that's great. So, I mean, it's, it is moving forward. Uh, I would kind of like to watch that just to see how many lies there are. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the fact that it's being addressed by a narcotics, you know, the word narcotics commission or whatever. Right. It's just, 
you know, every time I hear the word drug and cannabis, you just kind of roll your eyeballs. And, uh, well, you know. here's the, uh, I'm going to put that in the comments, which we've got a lot coming in, but I'm going to go ahead and post that. And uh, yeah, so momentarily, we'll hey. go to that later. For sure. Then you know what? We should actually get to the guests because the guests this today are amazing. They're going to be able yeah. to talk about one of the things. Like we were just talking about how many jobs are going to be created by this and how hard it is to staff your hemp farms. Well, there are entire industries out there based on staffing uh, cannabis businesses. We got we got some great guests. Absolutely. Danielle, Akila, can you tell us a little bit about THC Staffing Group? Of course. So um, we founded THC Staffing Group in 2014. At that time, uh, as far as we knew, we were the only cannabis staffing company. Uh, we found out after we founded it, there was one that had been doing it quietly. Um, so we were the first publicly, you know, focused on cannabis. Um, that's only been five years, but um, now there's a, a lot more cannabis staffing companies. Um, since day one, we've always been focused completely on diversity and inclusion. Um, so we're still one of the only um, that's focused on that. Um, we do resume reviews and give career advice. We do a lot of speaking and um, outreach, uh, like this interview and, um, work with companies who, um, either want to hire a more diverse team or, um, just need help, um, finding people for really specialized roles. So mostly we place management level, we've placed scientists and lawyers, um, uh, dispensary managers, cultivation managers, and, um, some entry and mid-level as well. That's awesome. How many, how much growth are you seeing in your field? Because I'm looking at, at uh, reports in the news, it says that there's, you know, last year, marijuana industry added 65,000 jobs, a 44% gain. That's from CNBC earlier this year. Um, you know, I think a lot of the numbers are inflated from turnover and from temporary positions. I think a lot of, or I know a lot of companies have a lot of positions listed on their website that they're not actively hiring for. They just like to keep a bunch of jobs posted so they can be receiving resumes all the time. Um, so I'm a little skeptical when you hear numbers about the industry, hmm. like how much money you can make in those positions. I, I, I think it's inflated and that um, companies are still trying to see how little they can pay. Uh, maybe Achilles. Oh, really? So like, I, no. So you're, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't believe companies would try to screw over their employees. Yeah. But uh, do you see them really try to not give? I mean, like, so there's not a lot of hiring bonuses, for example, or, or benefits or perks. Uh, more are starting to offer benefits, especially um, in the Midwest and East Coast. Um, in California and, and a lot of companies on the on the West Coast and in Colorado uh, try to get away without benefits. Or even, um, unfortunately, in California, I see a lot of employers um, that really should be bringing someone on as an employee, um, but they're they're bringing them on as an independent contractor. So that's a big problem. You know, as much as I bitch about Washington's piss poor legalization, um, you know, that's the one thing we did right is once they the recreate the medical market, you had no rights. And then the recreational market. Now you got L&I rights, you get holidays, you get benefits because uh, now they're all part of the they're covered by Washington State. 
And if anything, I think that's what we did right here. Well, interesting, because I would, when we were having these discussions before, we'd talk about social equity, and you'd be like, oh, no, Washington's got this uh, you know, libertarian stripe. There's no social equity, but it, it sounds like you're giving your employees a livable wage and benefits. I know that in Illinois, they really have talked about that. Um, Akili, uh, or what do you, what's your area of expertise in the industry? Oh, man down, man yeah, down. So my, I think we're having bandwidth issues. Yeah, I'm having a little bit of trouble. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I'm having some. I think I caught the question. Uh, I'm not sure if you can hear me or not. But so my background yeah. is as an attorney. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you great. We could hear you great. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing. We got to also now have our guests be like, okay, and then go to your internet test speed page. And what does it say? And then we'll, we're still perfecting the, um, the podcast, but Joe Rogan had, um, uh, what's his name on Snowden and like Snowden was in Russia and like his, they were having problems with that. But, um, you know, when you're doing these shows live like that, you do get it. But, um, so how, how competitive is the job market in, in cannabis then from your guys's work? Uh, well, I'll just touch briefly on uh, something about Akili. I don't yeah. like to speak for him, but um, yeah. he's a really specialized attorney. Um, right. And speaking of like how competitive it is, um, uh, Akili is really sought after because there's not a lot of attorneys that um, genuinely care about creating um, a better industry and, and for it to benefit people most impacted by the war on drugs. So um, hopefully he'll join us and be able to uh, tell you more about himself. Um, so I think it's interesting to think about like how competitive it really depends on it. it it's similar to, you know, general career advice you hear about being in the right place at the right time. There is a lot of that because this industry um, is, is becoming a national mainstream thing. Um, so as States um, go legal um, or as the um, licensing opens up, there's these big rushes that um, can be, uh, there could be a huge demand um, and, and the companies need to find a lot of people in a short amount of time. So, um, so when, the, for instance, there's been this huge rush in Oklahoma, which, um, you know, has been kind of a free for all. Oh, man. That, um, now, Oklahoma does have, and we talked about that before. Just, on the now, yeah. Oh, oh do you, Oklahoma, yeah. I think, is twenty five hundred dollars in a pulse. I mean, Oklahoma is like the Wild West. Miggy will. What? What do you? How do you describe Oklahoma, man? Well, it was like Washington was when it was medical, and it is the Wild West, where uh, people who are willing to take a stance and be like, "All right, I'm going to open a shop and hope I don't get raided uh, this week or whatever." Uh, it, it's amazing to see because in the beginning, I was there before they got medical legalized, and uh, was Seattle Hempfest was doing a uh, an event there. And uh, for Oklahoma Hemp Fest. And uh, it was amazing to see all these CBD stores. They were kind of like staging themselves, you know, like, here's some marijuana light. And then now we're going to legalize it. And uh, yeah, no, it's the Wild West out there when it comes to you can be a millionaire still if you get involved. Yeah. And you can, you know, they'll they'll hire a bunch of people, but then they'll lay them all off, you know. Um, so you have to to keep in mind that, um, you know, that this is not, there's not a lot of job security in this industry. I, I, I counsel candidates who are um, coming from other fields and they have really good professional experience and they've got a full benefits package and they'll, you know, maybe they've been there five or 10 years and they just can't wait to get out and they just can't wait to get into the cannabis industry. But it's like, if, 
if you're expecting job security, this is not the right industry. Um, it, you could get lucky and really be um, the exact right candidate. Um, like if you're really specialized um, and there's a company that really needs your skill set and is willing to pay well for it. Um, but I've seen a lot of ruthless layoffs and um, also, you know, mergers that kind of are a surprise to the employees. Um, or new ownership. And so um, at, at the end of the day, like you have to be um, staying open to um, having more than one uh, form of income um, and be flexible with, um, you know, being willing to move or um, do a range wow. of seem like beyond your job description or something because, um, you know, although one thing I, I'm always um, trying, especially for anyone that gets hired through me, I mean, you, it has to be a legal hire, meaning, um, you know, there has to be right. an official job description and the employee has a right to hold the company to that written job description and be paid accordingly. Um, but, but you have to be as flexible as possible. Well, you know, you know, uh, as you're saying, as far as the ruthlessness of the, uh, the, like the lack of uh, stability, uh, I mean, you're also talking about industry when it was uh, illegal with the immigrants. You know, that was a thing where people would just travel. Trimigrants. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call people traveling, like the little hippies coming out there, uh, Humboldt, whatnot, and uh, out in the mountains. But it's only seasonal work. That's the thing that people have to remember. And if you have to understand, there's other aspects of the plant that you can be involved in. Uh, I imagine your position. Uh, people always ask you, "How can I get in the industry?" And uh, I always tell people, you know, any position is lateral. You know, if you're an accountant, you know, for a tech company, you can be an accountant for a weed company and vice versa. But the plant, the growing, that's a whole different aspect that, you know, the seasonal shit. Yeah. True. Yeah, it depends on the company. It's interesting. Some companies um, will specifically say they don't want to hire anybody who has cannabis experience. Um, they want... <laughs> I, I, you know, I, the most polite way to put it, I think of it as like when I was training people in a restaurant, um, I would rather train someone with no restaurant experience because when you're training someone who's coming from another restaurant, they, they're like in certain habits and have like strong opinions about how things should be done. I've heard that for growers, but I didn't yeah. think that was a thing for like bud tenders. Yeah, yeah. In general, um, um, companies tend to not, I mean, more often than not, the companies I work with are kind of looking for people without cannabis experience, unless, you know, there's a really, really extraordinary candidate who has, um, for instance, like cannabis compliance experience. Um, there, Of course, there's exceptions. There's certain positions where um, they they require the cannabis experience, but it depends on the company. You know, some that's just their approach that they want to be able to train people fresh. They don't want people coming in with thinking, especially like you said, with cultivation. I think that's really where um, that came from is like a lot of there's, there's so many people who just think that they should be a head grower and that they know everything and that their way there's, is the best that, way. That's, that's one of the things that's pervasive in the industry. Well, in the uh, teams that are forming, some of them at least. And by pervasive, I mean like one in five. It's just hubris. They're just overconfident. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. That you, and like the number of licenses that I hear that people are going to apply for. Like, we're going to apply 40 times. I'm like, why? No, you're not. <laughs> you're going to get like one license, maybe. There's only 75. Do you think they're going to give, you're only allowed to have 10 at the most. You think that you're going to get like yeah. 10 licenses when they're giving out 75? 
they're just going to sue the state if that happens. If everybody gets one, then the least amount of people have lost. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, are you helping people in Illinois now staff their startups? Uh, yeah, we're in the application phase with a handful of companies. Um, some people need help, um, you know, to get the application together. Um, others want to put something in the application that's about, you know, next year, like planning ahead to do consulting or recruiting through us once they have the license. Um, and also a lot of um, really detailed resume reviews and career advice, things like that for, you know, helping the candidates uh, find their way or um, try to uh, not only to for employment, but to um, try to get on applications as social equity applicants. Danielle, maybe you can help me here. I mean, with your website, um, how does it work? Like, is is there a fee uh, to, to, to for as a candidate if I want to be somebody looking for a job? There's no fee for candidates um, for for getting helping getting them a job. Um, the the time that candidates would pay is if um, they need a lot of help with their resume or they they want to talk with me at length. Um, gotcha. And, and I'm not currently doing a search where there are relevant candidates. So which is most of the time. I mean, you can see we do a really small volume of searches, and a lot of the searches that we do are not. Um, posted on our website, either it's kind of a quiet search, like a private search or a passive search, um, or we're just actively like looking through who we already know. Yeah. Um, and so, so we get a really high volume of resumes. Um, and to be honest, most resumes need work. Um, well, let's, let's expand <laughs> on that. Like, what would make a good resume then? So, it's so interesting. Um, like, I think we actually had one of our comments was like, you know, he's, somebody was like putting his resume right on your site right now, you know? Sure. Yeah. We get many webs. Uh, we get a lot of resumes every day. Um, and, yeah. and a lot, you know, some, some really stand out, you know, the more I, there he is. Yeah. Dark chance. As time goes on, I, can, I get quicker at this where it's like you can kind of skim through and some of them will just jump out at you as like really, really good. Well, uh, what's, why? Like if, um, if they're jumping out, I'm hearing like checklist in your head and yeah. Uh, that checklist. Yeah. Um, well, part of what makes some of them stand out is that some of them just filter themselves out by like not being legible. Um, they'll be like a really small font. Um They'll be really because they're sending it as a Word document um, instead of a PDF. Um, so that's like number one is always send it as a PDF so that you know it's going to like that what you're seeing on your end is what I'm going to see on my end. Um, right. Because there's at least half the time it's a Word document and it, it just looks really messy. And that's not what the person intended at all. So um, yeah. Uh, and that's all levels of candidates. I mean, we've got PhDs, people with really high degrees that are sending us resumes that look bad. Um, and I can tell that it doesn't reflect the quality of candidate. Um, so, so, so some things to look for are, um, yeah, just legibility, like put it in a, in a format that is a big enough font that I don't have to struggle to read it. Um, I don't need like a ton of detail about like your address and your multiple email addresses and, you know, really, beyond there um so i think more um i think um common mistake people put every detail they can think of um and that's really not appropriate unless it's a cv 
And if you've been, I, I tell people rule of thumb is one page per decade of experience. That's just a generalization. So um, if you've been in the workforce 20 years, I would expect that you would not be able to fit it all onto one page, right? Um, right. Or you can do one page of the things that are most relevant to cannabis um, and then one page that's everything else um, so that you have to think about what's the first thing I'm going to see when I'm looking through this. So at the top, I don't want a long bullet point list of your skills um, that say like people, person, yeah. computer skills, like that's some of that's important, but you could put that like towards the bottom so that I don't like get bored um, looking at that, that, that vague list. Yeah. Um, and you can, one thing that really worked for me um, when I was submitting resumes in, in the past for myself. Um, and the one thing that makes it really jump out is a, a genuine like headline. So um, one time I got a lot of calls back um, for interviews when my headline said fearless yet practical hmm. and, and several people that interviewed me referred to that and said, Oh, it just really stood out that you said fearless. Okay. Yet practical. Well, let's, let's get some headlines for the areas in the industry <laughs> then. All right. So if I'm going yeah. for like the agent in charge position at a dispensary, what would my headline be? Yeah. Well, it'd be something focused, like something about maybe your, um, you know, um, about inventory control or quality control, you know, something really focused um, and mention cannabis, you know, maybe you don't have any actual cannabis experience, but your headline could say passion for um, cannabis quality assurance or, you know, like one line, you know, it doesn't have to be a whole paragraph, like a generic objective. So, um, yeah, and if for cultivation, people will put something um, like too specific because it's like most people that are looking through the interviews aren't going to know the difference between all the different methods of growing. They're just you could have a headline about, you know, 10 years of cannabis cultivation experience. You know, you don't need to say it was illegal experience. Um, you can just say 10 years of cannabis cultivation experience. Like that's not a question all the time. They're like, but I can't talk about my stuff. I'm like. Why not? Yeah, at this point, if you're still sure. feeling that paranoid, uh, I don't know what you're going to do about that. You might need sure. to wait it out a little longer. <laughs> what about um, somebody that, uh, say you're an accountant and you spent, uh, say, note your time as, say, a 10 years activism in cannabis. I mean, is that something that would be worth putting on to a thing, too? Because you're not actually involved with the plant. You're just more social justice type shit. Yeah, that would be um, a good headline if if um, you're applying for companies that might actually care about that or um, you could put that in a short list of kind of highlighting your top three to five skills. I think that would be relevant. What's not as relevant, um, people will put a lot of detail, not only on their resume and in their cover letter, but they'll spend a lot of time during interviews telling a long detailed story about their medical condition oh. or their grandmother's medical condition. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe 10 years ago, that was a little more interesting and, and important to share, but I, I know it's the sensitive issue, but I, I do do tell people like, just don't, don't spend too much time telling a detailed story about a medical condition because it's not that I don't care or that the company it's not, re it's, it is relevant. It's just, 
everybody's got to get hired for that. Yeah. Well, it's a reoccurring story. Unfortunately, when it comes yeah. to like, this is why I got involved with cannabis, my cousin, my aunt, my mom, my wife. Sure. Yeah. You can say that somehow somewhere, but just really concisely. So again, less yeah. is more. <laughs> for sure. Hey, I got a question for you, Danielle. Um, a gentleman sent me an email this weekend and I, I wasn't very helpful with him. He's in Oregon. And let me just read you his email. Uh, he, he watches us in the show and he said, I want to thank you for your video contributions on CLN. I watched you throughout the week. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Uh, okay, here's a long shot. I live in Bend, Oregon. I'm trying to tap into some of the farm aid bill from the farm bill. As African-American, I'm wondering if it may help with me getting some help as far as like aid goes or, uh, you know, any sort of in the door. I recently lived through an absolute failure of an attempt to grow hemp cannabis. I want to break out into my own small and create a small craft farm. Now, I suggested that he reaches out to the MJBA, but he went straight to the... Um, because they're a membership type organization. You know, we don't have a source, a person yeah. to go to where it says, hey, help me. I have no money. Uh, I'm broke and I'm just trying to get my foot in the door so I can just be a respectable citizen or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think you just really brought up one of my biggest concerns about legalization um, and it's like where we're at in Illinois, um, that the people who have been most impacted by the war on drugs are now really vulnerable to being um, um, taken advantage of by companies, investors, um there are some incubator opportunities around the country, um, but, but in general, what we're seeing um, is people kind of the companies being predatory with like like. Oh, those companies are now censoring Dan. Yeah, vendors that are offering. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, when you said like then, you're trying to prey on the, and then you froze, and so yeah. can you just say that one more time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's see. I was talking about Illinois, the state approved 26 organizations to offer education. Um, people have right. to pay for that education. Um, and right. in addition to the 26 state approved, there's still other ones that are offering paid education. Right. Um, and they're giving out things like certificates and then people will put that on their resume. Like I got this degree in Canada oh, university. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I think in a lot of cases they waste their money. Um, I think if you can get an in-person experience where you have somebody who could be like a mentor or someone who could help support your business venture, um, that could be good. But, you know, it's tough. Like your question about the person in Oregon, um, of course, I think that person deserves ownership and ideally they would be able to do something and be self-sufficient and not have to be an employee. Right. Um, but the reality is um, in at, well, Oregon, there's a little more chance of having like a small scale business succeed. Right. Um, but you have to have capital. Yeah. Um, and you have to sign a bunch of legal documents with the people who are giving you the capital. So so that's another area where the predatory practices come in. That's the kind of thing Akili helps people with is like sorting through what are you signing? Let's negotiate a better deal for you. I, I got it. And I just want to bring up like on Sunday, we're going to have Akili back because we had some technical difficulties. Sunday, okay. we do our activist hour. So Miggy and I will discuss these social justice things that he's bringing to the table after Great. we sort that out but you know that's that's very cool that you discussed this and as somebody who's in the staffing 
uh, industry for the THC industry, uh, because one of the ways that you can get the social equity points in Illinois is to have 51% uh, of your employees be from one of these disproportionately impacted areas. If you look at the map, it's essentially the urban poor. Uh, I'm not saying that's all it is, but I'm saying it's pretty much or you can have people that have been arrested for the two offenses that you kind of have to look for uh, the yardsticks it's it's up to 500 grams of possession alone or up to 30 grams of intent to distribute so you're looking for those charges and then if you find one of those charges they also qualify or their parents or their kids and so are you seeing a lot of demand for employees that fit those criteria not as much as i thought um because what I'm seeing is the the companies, whether they're the existing ones or people who are trying to get in and like be a new company in Illinois, um, a lot of them have this attitude like 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 that those people are just so easy to come by, and that and also that those people are not employable, and so that this is all like um, like oh let's just like scrounge up some people, um, we'll just offer them some minimum wage job and, and we'll figure out the details of how to like make that look good enough on the application that we get yeah. the license. No, um, but that's, that's usually not when I like take them to the statute and go, all right, look, I'm your lawyer. I can help you with this. I just want to read you something real quick. And then I'm going to send a follow-up email. So it's, so it's memorialized. Yeah. This part of the statute, we shouldn't do this. Yeah. You can follow this up with an email. Yeah. All right. And um, so, yeah, there's there's that aspect of it. But I think that when you're asking these capital people to give up so much control and so much ownership, uh, they are going to be like, think, I mean, think about it. That's why that's why we have all these corporations that are going to the state Chili's and all these other islands. So they can avoid taxes. I mean, when you get capitalism involved, it's like loophole, loophole, loophole. There's these people. They're crafty. And I'm sure some of them are going to get licenses. Yes. But, uh, you know. And in Illinois, I wouldn't even call them loopholes because they're actually written right into the law. So it's not even loopholes. Well, let's, let's discuss those then. Which ones are you considering uh, written right into the law, you know, expressway loopholes? I think the fact that um, there's an or instead of an and. Um, so how you qualify for social equity, um, that you it, it's either or like you as an as the company, you don't the owners themselves don't have to qualify. They just right. can, can hire people that qualify. Yeah. And that um, as far as I know, I mean, this might, I might, this could be changing. So I could become wrong very quickly. By Friday, Cause I asked these yeah. questions, but go, yeah. go ahead. I'm hoping that I become wrong about all of this, that, um, that uh, as far as I know, there's, there's companies that are still, they're figuring out ways to not guarantee the, the social equity job um, and that and that there's no real they're not forced to give ownership there's a lot of ways around giving ownership um especially that 51 percent um there's there's ways around that um but but we'll see i think i think that toy hutchinson is a good person to um, be in her position because she i do believe she's gonna figure out how to stop some of these loopholes at the application stage instead of um, having to figure it out later um, and only if they get caught. You know, I think I think yeah. she's really making an effort or she will make an effort to to stop all of this kind of stuff and the predatory practices, you know, to stop it at the application phase. Yeah, right. I can imagine, uh, like you said, Urban Poor, you offer him, her, whatever, 20000 a year just to show up minimally. Uh, you know, it's... it's and you own it. 
Yeah. You own it. You are yeah. now official. Yeah. Um, See, I'm telling you, Danielle is getting oh, maybe spooked I, by these. Uh, you, it's the man, dude. They're like, stop, <laughs> stop telling our secrets, Danielle. The man yeah. is hacking you. Yeah. Goddamn, buddy. Right. Yeah. Last, last thing about that is like, what are you signing? You know, if you are a social equity applicant, what's in the fine print? It's really important to have your own lawyer um, who really understands it to go through it with you because I've, I've seen. Um, People are willing to like sign on for free. I mean, you should get paid even just to be on an application, right? And then, yeah. and then signing away, like, okay, for instance, what if you're signing that you can't work with anybody else for two years? But then, what if you don't get the, what if you don't get a license? Then are you still? Then are you working? Yeah. Right. So can you can you then like you still have to wait two years before you can go work with someone else? But you never got a job. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking that if, you know, hopefully in the fine print, if you yeah. don't get a license, then you're free to go work for somebody well, else. That's the thing. Cause like, I hear this stuff about like how they're putting together companies and those companies, they don't have to have any bit. And what does your company do? Oh, we're going to get a license to sell marijuana. So you're a marijuana company. Not yet. I mean, so how they can make the claim it's, it's enough to make me a persnickety lawyer blush that they are claiming that they have a company and 10 full-time employees, but the thing that they are in business to do, they have no license to do. It's putting the cart before the horse. And and then yeah. they're thinking like, well, we'll just sue the state because it says this. And you're like, wait, okay. So these are, these are real money and lawyered guys, and they're just going to do what they want to do. And what's stopping uh, out of state money or out of uh, country money from coming into Illinois. Nothing. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's mm -hmm. like, it's to qualify for social equity, like as a social equity applicant, like an individual person has to have lived in one of these areas in Illinois, but, but the money and the ownership can come from anywhere. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's some really, um, there's so many people rushing to Illinois. Um, there's some really aggressive Canadian money. Um, there's some people that don't like what I tell them and they're on. Don't hear from yeah. me. Yeah. Like, All right. Dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah. Oh, and I know Keely might be watching this and be like, really wish he could chime in because a lot yeah. of what I'm saying is like stuff I learned from him. And also, like, I'm not a lawyer. So sometimes I get like carried away and, and then it, it turns out I'm wrong. Like, no, actually, you know. Hey, I'm not sure if you're familiar with lawyers, uh, but 50% <laughs> of the time they're wrong. Only okay. one side wins, right? And then, like, you get appealed and you can appeal again. And so you <laughs> might you might be right, wrong, and then right again. And so, like, right. Especially with the, you know, where uh, being worked out, you know, we'll see how it actually plays out in Illinois. Well, that's one of the things because they didn't include any rules. And so the application included question periods. And so I put in like nine, 10 questions. Everybody who's representing these people did. And, you know, most of them are about the social equity thing because it's the new thing that the companies are sitting there like with their money trying to figure out how they pick it apart and then keep it safe and i'm like all right but you look at how illinois is written like how are they going to get around the number of licenses you know they're only allowed 10 that's 10 out of 500 possible licenses it's only two percent of the industry you're telling me in our modern times where industries dominate market share like 50 80 90 percent in the case of google search for example two percent how well is that going to hold up are those 75 licenses, is that uh, just stores or is that producers and yeah, just stores? The producers, okay. those will come out uh, in January 7th or so of next year. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be yeah. into 
Yeah. So like I, I work and then I get the application submitted and then I take about a week off. I go to a beach and then I come back and then they release the new applications for the uh, craft grow for the infuse and for the transporter. And I'm getting all these calls from uh, testers, like uh, testing companies and, and testing labs that want to get a license for being a, a, a lab. Sure. And maybe that should be something that's in the, in the trailer bill, but I haven't seen it when they do speak to it in the, it's probably going to be done by the rules in department of ag, like it was for medicinal. Cause there's, there's four or five labs in the state. And so they're going to probably allow new labs, but I don't know when. So, you know, it's just all in the future. Yeah, you know, the the, the out-of-country money is the one that scares me the most. Uh, I don't, are you guys familiar with Paul Sanford? Yeah. Um, I want to remind the viewers about Paul Sanford. I'm going to grab some water. Yeah, so Paul Sanford, uh, Oregon activist. Uh, he had, I think it's called THC staff or THC. Do you, do you know uh, what you're THC centers. Yeah, it was a medical thing where he was getting prescription stuff. So he had a database, too, of all these you know, patients. And, uh, he decided that, uh, somebody swayed him, uh, at Israel. I think they're Israeli company, uh, invested in him. And then behind closed doors, I don't know how this fucking works. Go lawyer. Uh, they magically, uh, changed it. So he was outnumbered in shares of his own company and then they squeezed him out. And, uh, he even can't technically, they're trying to sue him not to use his name. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's what's scary is like, how are these people infiltrating our cannabis culture for, you know, lack of a better word, taking over a business and saying, okay, never mind, you're done, you know, and, and, and now they own this database, this huge Oregon database. Uh, and I think it's still under, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, court, you know, he's still trying to fight. Oh, yeah. uh, that, that's right. Okay. Uh, and so they're probably burying him legal fees. Yeah. But they took his shit. And then they buried him in legal fees. Yeah. And then, like, I, I'm just kind of like looking at the in my head, like you know, picturing the operating agreement, you know, just pushing them right out. And they're like, "Oh, sorry." Or like, did, did they capital yeah. call him? You're like, all right, well, you'll be fine, provided you pay us fifty thousand dollars to maintain your capital account. And he's like, "What the fuck's capital account?" And he's gone. Yeah, I don't yeah. get how yeah. you make a business and then it gets taken away from you. But I'm not a lawyer. The operating agreement. I yeah. think there's. Um, kind of the examples of things that come up when people are in such a rush um, and, and really focused on the dollars, um, right. nothing inherently wrong with making money, but, uh, and nothing inherently wrong with trying to get ownership in the industry, but at what cost, you know, yeah. at what cost are you taking on investors? At what cost are you being incubated? And what, at what cost of like, what are you signing away? Um, and, and what if something changes, right? Everybody gets so caught up in, oh, this is so great. This is what's happening right now. But what's going to happen a year from now when there's, yeah. um, you know, or if you go public, um, yeah, like you said, the, the money coming from other places, um, it, it's, it's affecting the whole industry and, um, not just, not just from other countries, but just from other States, um, right. people who have no real stake in Illinois other than they're like, oh, this is going to be a huge market. And you know what? They don't have to do the social equity piece. That's the other thing. You don't, there's no obligation that you have to cover that those fifty points of the two fifty. You can but just if try. You to do. If you do, they yeah. become conditions. So, like that's one of the yeah. ways that I'm putting together what I think is the most ethical version of the law in in its corporate formation. And like you 
kind of performance corporate uh, operations over uh, three, five years and saying, hopefully by this time we'll be able to do this and then you'll get this much and you'll be over there. And so like I'm already talking about like exit strategies for people before they even get the license so that I can put that into the business plan and be like, this is how we're going to achieve the tenets of this law and give us the license because we're doing, you know, it's, it's like getting a job. We're hiring you for this particular job, which is spelled out in the, uh, you know, in, in the legislation. And then it's like, all right, we accomplish what you said you want in this legislation by doing this, this and this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's me being a naive Eagle Scout or, or what, but maybe. Speaking of large uh, money, is, uh, is Mad Men, Med Men, are they looking at Illinois? Oh, they got, they got, they got, they got, uh, I got punched in something, I tell you. Uh, so they were going to be merging with uh, Pharmacan. Were they going to? Is that who they were going to merge with? And that fell through. So they actually do have, I think, one license in the state. But uh, their real estate play uh, is highly debt leveraged, and so it might go into. It, they can't. The cannabis companies can't, can't declare bankruptcy, so they might have to get taken over in a receivership. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like I have not dug in. One of the things that a lot of people that are trying to get these licenses don't understand is financial accounting. They don't. Mm -hmm. Social equity applicant. All right. So the best ones are ones that got arrested when they were younger for cannabis. And then throughout all odds, 30 years later, they've built themselves businesses and they've been successful. Those ones have some business sense and they also have the social equity aspect, but then you still have to build like a company around them to be bigger than them, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think um, anybody who's trying to go into business needs a team. I mean, let's, let's yep. be honest that um, there's a lot of mediocre white men that don't qualify for social equity. All they brought to the table was money yep. and five of their cousins or whoever. And they're, I mean, come on, the big four in Illinois, like, they're not special people. They're just people with money and resources. Um, so a lot of these social equity applicants are, you know, very, very fit for this um, as long as they can compete with the big ones and, and are, uh, like you said, putting together a team is, is really crucial for everybody and, and not trying to um, just get ownership just for yourself because right. you qualify, but right. that, um, you know, because you're going to be able to, put together a team that compete and can survive because the what I'm telling people and some people don't like to hear it, but you know, ownership is debt. If you're trying to get ownership and, and trying to get investors, like that's a form of a debt. Um, we're not to a point yet. Hopefully at some point in the future, we'll be giving out grants instead of loans, but the state of Illinois is giving out low interest loans. That's debt. That's yep. something you have to pay back. So, so that's how I help people, you know, try to rethink like, okay, um, ownership sounds great, but um, could it be actually be a setback, financial setback? Um, we well, have to a lot of ownership see that, like, the small you know, businesses be able to compete. Yeah, but a lot of ownership is that capital that you bring. And sometimes they, they, that capital that you bring then is classified as debt and it's paid back before uh, the the other equity holders get anything. I mean, that's, that's just how it right. is. But that, bringing down the barriers to entry so that normal people, normal, you know, and by that, I don't mean the uber wealthy because it's entirely self-financed and because you can't get, you can't bank this industry because you can't bank this industry. The barriers to entry are unnecessarily high because you're, you have to get those four people together that have that million bucks. Yeah. As opposed to here's my business plan. Uh, here's my uh, equipment. 
And then you would still, it would be debt. It would be a loan from a bank that you would pay back. But that loan, that access to credit and capital allows you to open your doors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if it, if you can set it up in a way that you can pay it back really quickly and it turns into profit really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, back to uh, your company um, for, for like the employers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously with, with Achille, you're doing the social yeah. justice part of things. Uh, you know, we've done uh, interviews with security companies. And, and to me, I'm learning more and more that uh, there's more stuff involved in the background than I actually realized. Like, it's not just somebody going, mm-hmm. okay, uh, I got your resume. You're good to go. You go with here. Are you offering like legal advice to, do you have a staff that you're offering to the employers as far as like, Hey, this is your infrastructure. You know, do you have your uh, HR? Do you have this? Are you, are you doing lots of stuff like that? A little bit. Um, so, uh, let's see. Three of the people on my team are actually lawyers. So in addition to Akili Parnell, um, doing social impact rec- uh, consulting. Um, we have Richard Wong in Massachusetts. Um, so he does some diversity and inclusion consulting, which includes sometimes pretty detailed uh, reviews of internal HR procedures. Um, and then Jesse Stout out in California, really specialized in cannabis um, for many years. So um, yeah, we we tailor it for what the company is willing to pay for. Um, you know, there's, they need all kinds of help, but they're not, they're not interested in, in paying for it necessarily. Companies aren't interested in paying for anything, but that, (laughs) be that as it may, like, because you mentioned that, are you helping consult with your teams regarding their, uh, HR policies when it comes to diversity? Yeah. And it's built into how I do the recruiting. So some of the, the, Things that I'm most proud of are really small scale changes that I um, help bring about in the hiring process just through working with me, even if it's just on the recruiting side. For instance, I'll submit a pool of candidates and um, there's a reason why I submitted each of those people. I'm not just submitting like for a quantity, right? I'm submitting thoughtfully and then they'll come back and say, oh, I want to interview this one guy and send me more people. Or send me more guys, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then I say, okay, well, um, I, I'll send you more candidates if you can tell me why you're not interviewing each of the people that I already sent you. Um, and I'll sometimes have to remind them, you know, I'm I'm really specialized in helping you um, attract a diverse team, and there's a reason why I submitted each of these people. Mm. Um, and and so they'll take a second look and and most of the time then they reply again and say you know oh okay actually i do want to interview some of these people so basically what i've done is by by kind of putting my foot down and not sending more candidates um it it kind of forces them to take another look and to um get past that unconscious bias um it might be a name that they just look past it might be um that they unconsciously are looking specifically for men and they're, they just can't picture a woman in that role. Um, Would that be be like the cultivator? Is that a, what's the most masculine aspect of the industry? Would you say? Yeah. Cultivation managers and CFOs, um, any C level, unless it's operations like COO, then sometimes they think maybe a woman could do that. Um, But the higher level um, or, or they'll just think, oh, this person whose name seems foreign isn't going to fit in. Um, it's it's a lot of really unconscious bias. Um, and and some of my clients, as they get to know us, they they really t- 
take more risks um, and give people a chance. And and over time, it's really rewarding to see that um, they learn from it. They learn, wow, I'm so glad I took a risk on somebody that I didn't think would fit in. And it's not about fitting in. Like fitting in is what we're trying to get away from. We're trying to get away from that culture fit um, and move towards inclusion, which oh. is you know sounds like exactly the opposite of china like were you ever seen like the chinese <laughs> premiere and like everybody's exactly the same you know yeah. no this is you're trying to do diversity inclusion in like america so america well, yeah. it's proven that the yeah. the more diverse that the staff you have the more uh ideals that come to the table and yeah. the more uh you know different perceptions right you know i don't see things from a woman's perspective uh, I don't see things from an Indian gentleman's perspective. You know, we all have our own little thing to right. do. Uh, Danielle, one more thing on your uh, your guys' company, THC. Uh, you guys have a little bit of flex because, I mean, you from 2005 were part of the Berkeley group. So you've been doing activism from early on. Uh, yeah. And then also your, your co-founder who had to step down. Uh, she's the what, Massachusetts uh, board uh, commissioner. Yeah, the Chalene title, the commish. Um, <laughs> the commission. You call her that? Please tell me you call her that in private. Yeah. Please tell me that. Uh, no. <laughs> We've been friends since high school and um, yeah, when she took that position, I, I want to say Tom Angel from Marijuana Moment gave her that nickname. <laughs> nice. Um, but I think like yeah. your guys' VIP behind the company, uh, I mean, just two women that have been part of policy. Like, Policymakers are the new rock stars. Like when I was a kid, uh, and I always wanted to write for High Times. You know, my people that I looked up to were uh, Steve Bloom and uh, or Stephen Hager and Bloom. You know that the yeah. editors, people part of a magazine. Like that was that was my fucking go to. You know, but you guys <laughs> now in this new era of people who are making it. You know, now we got Dennis Perron, who's you know, R.I.P. Uh, people who've made a stance and done a thing in policy. That's that's where it's at now. Like you guys are the rock stars, along with. Tom, who's who's your your your, your rep? Uh, Jahan Gordon. Yeah, I mean, she was amazing. Like like yeah. the fact that the and, and it was all women that that made that policy. Yeah, yeah well, the, there was a couple of guys involved as well, but yes, <laughs> it was really championed by f those four women. And now Toy is. I really can't wait to have her on the show. We might want to do her on the activist hour, as, as opposed to like we we usually talk about business on Wednesdays. Um, but I, I really can't wait to see how they uh, a lot because they've written this law in such a way. Like I said, you know, if two percent is the market share, you know, you can create a very diverse industry that reflects the population of the state and that addresses uh, using a portion of the proceeds. I'm not saying all of it, I'm saying some of that revenue, though, goes back into these in these areas and to these people that have been disproportionately harmed over the past 80 years. And, and, you know, I'm not sure why people would be against that, but freedom, I, I suppose. People just sometimes hate it when it seems like uh, they aren't allowed to say whatever they want and get that because they're who they are. You know, hubris. That's great. Danielle, right. thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can we find and follow THC Staffing Group? Yeah. Oops. Oh, no. How does that happen? Man, she's telling the secrets. THC Staffing Group looks like it is able to be found at the Staffing Group. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the when I mean to say THC staffinggroup.com. It's not just a clever name, it's also their business name. Find them on social media Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter.
Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Miggy works on you. studio. <laughs> well, I'll tell you where we're going to be able to find uh, Miggy here pretty soon. We are launching uh, CannabisLegalizationNews.com. And so you'll be able to, uh, that's, that's where we'll house this blog. And then our, what are we still working on the Sunday title? I mean, like Activist Hour, High Holy Hour was kind of fun. But I like how we can have the social justice uh, episodes as well. Which I need a voting poll. Yeah, let's put it on our YouTube. We'll post yeah. a poll out there. Oh, all right. Yeah, we'll ask we'll ask the YouTube that question. Or if they have any ideas for our Sunday episode. All right, there you go. Well, yeah. to work. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, as always, tune in next Wednesday and on Sunday for our new show. Uh, like and subscribe. We'll see you next Wednesday and Sunday. Okay, go on live. Go on live. We're still.